Jazz Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsev, and we are back. Midweek episode. It's episode 299, and we're finally, finally going to get to Knock on Wood, episode 300. Uh, and that's coming up next, but we have a great episode 299 for you. Uh, first things first, special guest, Zarek Valentin, the Houston Dynamo defender, and also a member of the MLS Players Union Executive Committee. Uh, he's a player rep for the Dynamo. He was involved in that CBA negotiation process. We're going to talk to him about the new CBA and tell him why it was not a good one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, Zarek comes on and he, he gives us some good insight into into the CBA and you know what the good takeaways are for the for the, the players and why it's really and why as I've said for a while now why the, why that it's really a rigged game when it terms of, when it comes to CBA negotiations in the in the union versus the players because look league owners it's their game and uh, we'll get into that later for sure this is a long interview folks I'm gonna warn you uh, but I think it's a good interview uh, we cover so many different topics we cover the the CBA we cover the Dynamo which for me one of the teams. Uh, this offseason that's that's had one of the best off seasons in MLS just in terms of revamping their roster. Uh, we had Ty Bramosan uh, recently, a couple episodes ago, and talked a little about that, especially after the draft that they had. Also another good piece component for them. But we talk about that, the Dynamo. We talk about a few different things, including including some of the best college teams of all time and who would have won. Um, that's uh, that's definitely nerding out on, uh, in the college soccer rabbit hole. Uh, but if you if that's your thing, if that's your bag, if, if you know about the great, great recent era men's soccer teams, um, we, we touch on that. Also, we went for about an hour and we didn't even talk about everything we could have talked about because uh, Zarek Valentin is also one of the, the bigger sneakerheads in MLS. And we didn't even touch on that. So uh, I'm saving that for another interview, but we'll get we'll get to that but so many things to talk about uh and we're not gonna be able to get get to everything just because as i said the the interview with with uh with zach valentine went so long that you know i, I don't want to make this like a mega episode right because it's episode 299 maybe for episode 300 uh where the hope is to have have multiple multiple guests uh you know we can we can go longer um and then you're just gonna have to listen if it's two hours you're gonna have to listen for two hours I, i'll try not to make that one uh quite that long but i do i do plan to and hope to have multiple guests for that one but today we're we're on this episode we're obviously talking uh, cba and, and other things with zach valentine we'll, we'll touch on americans abroad as always because there's always something to talk about with americans abroad and we also will talk mls you know everything going on with mls and some of the moves now that the cba is out of the way you're gonna see teams start to make moves um, and the biggest move so far, FC Cincinnati signing Brazilian striker Brenner, and uh, we're you know we're gonna get into that and, and catch up with with my my boy uh, Cincy Inquirer writer and FC Cincinnati beat reporter Pat Brennan jo- joins us and uh, and uh, again another sneakerhead. This is the all sneakerhead episode of uh, of the SBI show, uh, and, and we'll talk to Pat uh, about the move. I have I have my questions about the move, and, and you know we'll get into that a little bit, but that that's also on the uh on the menu for this episode and now joining us from houston is houston dynamo fullback and mls players association representative zarek valentin zarek how you doing today how's it going Ari? thanks for having me appreciate it no thanks for definitely appreciate the time and uh obviously it's a it's a crazy it's been a crazy few days and weeks i'm sure for you with with everything with the cba we're obviously going to talk about 
the CBA, and we're also going to talk Houston Dynamo. Busy, busy offseason for your team there. They, they mm-hmm. definitely, uh, they've definitely revamped and 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 reloaded uh, for the new upcoming 21, 2021 season. And we'll also touch on it's. I don't, it was the ten year anniversary of Akron winning the national title. And I don't know if that makes you feel old or <laughs> it makes you uh, reminisce on the, on the good old days at Akron, but we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. First things first, CBA it's done. You were in involved in the process as, as you kind of look back on it now, what, what are you happiest about in this deal? Like what, what do you look at in this deal and say, you know what, we, we, we got this, at least we got this out of, out of the deal. Yeah, it's difficult because um, I think that we were expecting the league to enact the force majeure at the beginning of this year. We, we were kind of expecting it. So if anybody was taken, you know, was surprised by it in late December, I think that there might be a little bit naive. Um, there was clearly going to be a significant impact on attendance this year. And that's, that's a fact, which is why we're already probably starting later. So that hopefully the vaccine rollout, we can get pumping and then, you know, maybe have a good amount of fans in the middle and then hopefully full cities by the end, cross our fingers on that. Um, so ultimately, it was difficult because it was definitely tense there for a bit because there's a lot of residual anger and frustration about the last wave or the last wave of negotiations. But I think players have to be happy uh, that we did concede the two years worth of uh, extending the CBA, but we also did get in back a little bit of uh, free agency gain in terms of uh, less years served. And it might not seem like a big jump for the general public to go from 24 years old and five years of service to 24 and four. But uh, it almost, you know, from what we were told that if that number was implemented today, it would have gone from 20 something percent to almost a third of the league would now fall by free agency. Nice, nice. Now that that's definitely you know the whole free agency free agency thing has definitely been a sticking point for for a few for a few cycles. I remember that was kind of the line at one point. Mm-hmm. We're going back a few CBAs. I, I, I'm old, so this is like I don't know. This feels like this is my seventh CBA process, but. It used to be where, it used to be where the owners wanted no part of giving up any of that, but at a certain point they realized, okay, we we need to we need to allow that, but we're also going to control it. Um, when you when you look at the CBA, uh, that that's obviously a good point. But when you look back on it, if there was something that you wish you had been able to get in in the deal, it, what what was kind of the thing that you were like, oh, we should have fought for that, or you know what, that that's one where it's disappointing that we weren't able to get that. Obviously, you, you think long-term about these things. And it's difficult for players to think long-term. The league was extremely smart. And, and I would say that, uh, you know, as we kind of touched upon, you know, pre-conversation, that they're businessmen. So by offering the players no pay cuts, that was arguably the biggest thing in a lot of people's minds, right? So by them extending it two years, I don't think some of the younger players who would, who would probably be in the league at that point understand that the, the ramifications of that. And then myself and I, you know, my call is Zach McCarty and, you know, a few of the guys who are older league, I mean, Ivy's, if I'm playing in 2027, God bless my body. <laughs> right, I don't, right. I'm still, I'll be 35 or something at that point. I don't know if you I'll be able be, to get You will there, not but. get down the line uh, in 2027. <laughs> like you're getting down the line now, buddy. Yeah, seriously, right? Unless I play center back, we'll, we'll, we can probably cap it off. But, um, you know, it's interesting because you have to kind of, you know, get a lot, some of the younger players, um, you know, in, informed on how these decisions now could affect them. Um, and I was happy with the progress that minimum makes. I think minimum is going to be around 130 or 125 in the last year of the deal. And that's something that, you know, my brother came in the league was making $16,000 at minimum. So to think about the league in 20 years time, you know, going up almost 10, you know, 
I would say 10 times that amount is fantastic. Something for me that, that would have been something small would have been takeaway option years for free agents. So right now, free agents have to sign one, two, three years plus option. And to many people, that option might not necessarily be that big of a deal, but that just gives the team that much more say um, in potentially keeping a player at a squad. Obviously, right. then you would say, okay, well, the player is going to have an option here that is, they'll be okay taking, right? So if I'm going to sign in Houston, I would hypothetically negotiate in an option that I would be willing to accept and my family would. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it'd be great for a player to negotiate whatever contract he wants. And for me, if we could have maybe docked and taken away that option here, that would have been maybe a little extra oomph. Like, okay, cool, you can sign one year in Houston. Then go sign a one year in this place and that place. And if one player wants to skip around, great. If they don't, then no problem. But that would have been potentially like a little extra oomph uh, that we could have added in that I think would have, you know, might not have seemed like a big deal, but I think for players, they would have, that going through free agency would have understood the significance of that. Right. Now, it needs to be made clear that, you know, the MLS owners, I mean, we're talking, I mean, they're billionaires for a reason. And I I said this a few episodes ago, Mm -hmm. and this is their game. And and, and the analogy that kind of comes to mind when, when thinking about the whole CBA negotiation process, it's like, it's like you're on vacation in Vegas and you've gone to the Bellagio and you've decided to sit at the pro poker players table and and they're ready. Mm -hmm. You're not going to last very long or you're playing their game. And and this whole thing is their game. And, you know, as much as you can definitely fight for things, it's, it's, it's a different, it's what they do. And, and they, and you're not the first group to, to kind of quote unquote, lose that game. So at this point, what you want to try to do is get as much out of it as you can. And I would argue personally, I would argue that you guys probably did better than the previous CBA, not, not the one last year, but the one I want to say 2014, 2015, I feel like that was the CBA where the biggest opportunity was missed because there was definitely that, there was that sense of a, of momentum in the, in the union that there was leverage there with Orlando city coming in and NYCFC coming in and, and if if they had if there was a strike then I think you you could have seen the owners really blink and I think they missed that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think you guys are kind of you know left to pick up the pieces five six seven years later. Um, so anyone that wants to kind of put it on the union this time around, I, th- I thought you guys did okay, uh, but you still you're still playing the, the, you're playing their game and you're not going to win their game. Yeah, and that's that's the difficult part is is I've you know been in some of these co- the conversations and. For the owners, it's a business and an investment. Think about that, right? So when they are offering the players their salary today, they're potentially giving up a little bit of a short-term financial potential stress, right? We're in a pandemic. It's difficult for a lot of people. And I completely understand that. I know a lot of teams had to lay people off, take salary cuts. I completely understand that. And they're basically saying, you know, we're going to potentially offer players short-term potential like sweets and candy but we're going to ask for a lot on the back end. Why? Because a lot of the player pool won't be playing in the league at that point. So guess what? So it's difficult for players to think long-term and how that might affect the greater good. And then ultimately they're invested in the long run. Merritt Pulse is not going to sell a team anytime soon. You know, you look at some of these guys that have bought in, you know, Merritt's going to be there forever. And obviously as a Portland guy, I don't, I haven't met um, Gabriel uh, in person, but I'm just talking strictly because I had a relationship with Merritt. And he's invested in the long term. So he can think seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years down the road. But guess what? I am not going to be in the league in 10 years. So, you know, the league is probably, and owners are probably hedging their bets that players will not think that long term. 
and then potentially accept something that might not seem as, as, as big of a give in a sense. And they'll accept their salary and think, you know, everyone has to put food on their table. So it's tough because everyone has to make that decision for their family. But the owners are playing the long game, man. This is, this is an investment for them. And if you think about it in that sense, um, it's completely understandable. I think the thing where the owners have always have a stronghold on a lot of the players is players get emotional because they, you know, are in at work every single day, busting their ass, kicking the ball. And then when owners will make offers, a business offer, players will take it personally because they're thinking, you know, how could they treat me like this? You know, I'm out there sacrificing for the crest on my jersey, and this is what it is. But ultimately, we're commodities. You know what I mean? It's like Federalism of Catan. I'm probably worth six pieces of ore, right? (laughs) And, And ultimately, that's what players are. There's always some, I always say, there's always someone potentially better. There's always someone younger but there's probably not somebody better looking. So they always have the two that they can maybe replace me with, but maybe not the third. But that's just something where I think that if players could ever get over that hump of potentially getting you know, emotional at times, not everybody, but at times that happens, I think that the player pool would be in a better situation to potentially move forward. That makes any sense. I, I think what, I'll tell you what when I, when I look at at the deal and it's the same issue I had the last one of the same issues I had with the last CBA. It, when everyone talks about free agency, right? So free agency was definitely a big thing to to finally add to the mix. But the biggest issue with the free agency is that it's not really free agency because of the cap on the increase mm-hmm. you can get. And for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what the, that 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 means, it means if if Zach Valentin if if his contract runs out. And he wants to go, you know, to the Red Bulls, hypothetically, he can only go for 20% increase. Well, with the new CBA, it's a 20%, which is actually what double, right? Because I think it was 10% before, but 20, he can only go for a 20% increase, which I know might sound like a lot, but if you're going, you're getting to the end of your first deal and let's say you crushed it in that first deal, you should be able to ask for the moon if you're, if you're becoming a free agent. So you're basically now forced to either go to Europe or go, go, you know, go outside MLS or accept only a 20% increase with, you know, so that, that for me, if, if, mm-hmm. if there was something that I would like to have seen is it, obviously I, the owners were never going to let it go completely, but uh, you know, whether it's 40% or, I, you know, I think that number for that still bothers me as just looking at it, especially when people want to hype up talking about free agency, because it's not really free, right? If it was free, there'd be no cap on what you yeah. can make anywhere. So that for me is the one that's a little bit of a sticking point. And I think those conversations were definitely had. Um, and I think that ultimately we, you know, I think the players, uh, and I, and I'm trying to remember back a little bit, you know, months, but I believe that if there was a sentiment across like to drop the threshold or to get that, um, I would say that cap kind of pushed back. I think dropping the threshold at this point is important. Um, but then again, you have these situations, like you said, a few years ago, and when you kind of go into these, um, you know, non COVID times where you're kind of forced to renegotiate the deal, right. You have to kind of settle, which, which which sucks because, you know, if you were going in, you know, in 2020, maybe that should have been something we were pushing for more. Because I completely agree because you think about some of these players that, um, you know, let's say we're on $150,000, that, uh, that, you know, have ball out. And let's say you score 15, 20 goals and suddenly you want to, you know, cap out. I think you could have only gotten 20% or maybe you could have gotten up to the max, which is like five hundred and three or $517,000 which is what a 20, you know, you're doubling your salary and like a little bit more. And 
you know, you want to see players rewarded for that, but ultimately it's a process. And I actually was speaking to somebody who, who is in the major league baseball union. And I said, it's in, in baseball union is as across the sporting world, people know is like probably the strongest sports union there is. They, the owners will ask for something. The players will say, Nope, no chance. And they just, <laughs> right. you know, kind of keep going and rolling with the punches. And I think for the for MLS to get to that point, minimum salaries are going to have to go up to where baseball, basketball, and hockey are, which is they're at like $400,000. Because at that point, then players can survive a potential lockout. Right. And once every single player from the college draftee to the you know the 15-year vet can survive a lockout, then you will develop great you know great power. And that's just going to take time. Right, right. You know, baseball's been around for 100 years. And so is, you know, basketball's been around since, you know, I you know, ABA days and stuff like that. And NFL is obviously, you know, in their 50 or whatever years, 50 something years plus previously. So it's going to take time and the players union is slowly getting there. Um, and the, the players union is also getting younger, which I'm really excited about. There's a lot of younger guys because, you know, I, I, I was talking to someone how I want someone, you know, that's 16, 17, 18 to take my place because when, He's in the league in, in, in 2027. He's going to be well-versed in exactly what's going on and then be excited to help contribute and be a leader for his team. Congrats on getting it done. I, I, I got to say this, I, and I, I've said it on the, on, on the show for, for a few weeks now, this is that like this, it was going to get done. I was never at any point worried that it wasn't going to get done as much as there was definitely some reporting out there that kind of tried to, you know, not intentionally or whatever. There was just reporting out there that made it, added a little drama to the whole thing. And, and it, you know, I, of I don't course. know. I've been, I've been doing, I've been doing this of for too course. long. You I've guys seen got endless deadline, endless deadline stuff. I'm looking at Stephen Goff. Well, I'm looking at uh, who else is out no, there? Uh, Jonathan Tannenwald, my buddy from Philly. You're like MLS deadline watch. Like, okay, guys. Yeah, like, it was. A, no I, one wants lockouts. Are not good for anybody. Right. Ask my my brother works in baseball, right. and it took years to get past the block that that had the, the damage it does. Nobody wants that, and especially if we can get through 2020, we should be able to figure something out when there's vaccines rolling out two million a day. You know, we should be able to get to that point. And ultimately, nobody wants that. And I, I didn't have too much of a doubt that we were going to figure it out. Obviously, there were some tense moments. And I think, you know, we got a, a fairly good deal for the tough situation that we were in. You know, I agree. I, you know, as, we state, as I stated earlier, I think the owners were a bit, were very strategic. Again, this is their game. This is not our, we don't get paid to bargain. I get paid to try to defend against Carlos Velo as best as possible and try to cross <laughs> right. the ball. I don't get paid to. Right you know, make financial decisions for, you know, you know my, you know, million, millions of dollars. And yeah. um, I think we, we came out with a pretty decent deal. And my God, Ivy, I hope we don't have to do this for another six years. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, if you played a game for the, for the CBA, I think you'd be all right. I think you'd lock down Mayor Paulson and that'd be it. But <laughs> unfortunately there's no soccer game to, for the CBA. Cause obviously then it would be in your Seriously, terms. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's definitely uh, great to see you guys get it done. And, as someone who covered the league, when the when the like the lowest salary was like a, a non guaranteed eleven thousand, uh, I can say mm-hmm. you got you guys. You know it, the 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 union has has chipped away at it and built up built it up built it up and the salaries have gone up and it's definitely promising to see that in twenty in the last year of the CBA you're talking about upwards of thirteen million. Uh, salary spend, not counting the DP excess. So I mean that, mm-hmm. that that's encouraging, and it's definitely I think that at that level, 
you'll see the league be able to compete with those leagues, those bigger leagues that that they've kind of trailed behind. And and when you talk about that money, then you can get serious about finally just getting past the Mexican league and really start talking about the of course. the bigger leagues in Europe. So from that standpoint, that's definitely good to see. Uh, enough CBA talk because I'm sure people are already tired of all the coverage of CBA. So I, I, I've <laughs> which I've done none of, by the way. This is it. This is the full extent of it. Just I just wanted to talk to you about it. But, uh, we're going to talk Houston Dynamo. Because they, they obviously, when you talk about teams this offseason that have done roster overhauls and made some real moves, um, the Dynamo is definitely, they're, they're near the top of that list. Uh, we, we had we had Tab, Tab Ramos on uh, two weeks ago, I want to say, after the draft, actually, mm-hmm. when they had, they, they pulled off, he pulled off and they pulled off uh, uh, just, just a sweet run of moves. When you talk about signing Tim Parker uh, and, oh, yeah. and then the draft day deals, you go get a Derek Jones. Uh, so when you look at, when you look at those names and when you look at the the players that that have been added, how excited are you about about what the Dynamo can do in twenty twenty one? Oh, it's fantastic! Um, uh, uh, kudos to, to Tab and the staff and Matt for for really I think signing players who are proven in this league. And I and I and I stress that a lot because I've seen teams and I've been here now. This would be my eighth year in MLS, where at times. You know, you'll bring in some players, and, and MLS is so unique in so many different ways. And uh, some players just don't fit. And it's not because of they're not good players. It's just the way the league is in terms of physicality, in terms of athleticism. The big thing that people don't realize is travel. Travel is a massive thing. You figure if you're traveling for most MLS teams in, in Europe or South America, countries aren't big enough. You know, flight might be an hour max. Here in Houston, we fly to, yes, we fly to Dallas. I think we'll fly to Austin. But outside of that, we're looking at two and a half plus to anywhere almost. And that does take a toll on players. And it's definitely difficult. The time change is difficult. And things like that, people don't understand it. So that's why certain players don't always pan out. And I don't think players get enough credit for how difficult it is, which is why, which brings me to my point, bringing in players that have had experience in the league and have had success. Is, is is great for the team and it's definitely Tabs and Matt's team at this point you know a lot of Wilmer guys that previously here are not here and we're playing a different style we have different members we have different personality and um, you know we're already trying to implement a different culture and bringing in guys like Tim who I've been in touch with a lot talking about sneakers talking about CBA stuff talking about Fafa, or Fafa. I played youth national team with him and obviously I played national 23s with Joe and then you have guys like Derek Jones coming in, and I spoke to Ethan Barlow a bit, and Tyler Pasher, who's a promise, who's a you know been establishing himself. You know, the team has really made a bunch of good signings, and I can't even forget Maxi Rudy, who I went to Portland after he left, and people just literally raved about this guy who has been a proven goal scorer. So there's so many examples of guys that we brought in who've had success in this league, and I don't, I can't stress how important that is. Will they all gel together? That's for the coaching staff and the players. You know, that's for us as a culture, but. It's extremely exciting going into this preseason, knowing that you know the club is really going all in on players to, to do well and to win because um, this club has a history of winning from when they first came over from San Jose. You know, I talked to Stu, and I've you know obviously I played with Brian a little bit in, in Montreal, and to hear about you know that history, we want to get back to that, and that's super important for the culture and the organization and the club and the city, and I and the rebranding is is, is a huge part of that as well. And I'm just excited to have these guys come down and. 
you know, to develop those partnerships and, and, and to get out there and to, to, to bleed, to sweat, to kick and to fight with these guys. That's what, that's the, that's the most important part and the fun part about it. Now you've you've played for for a good number of coaches in your career. Uh, I was just I was looking at the list. I was running, and it's a, it's a lot of names. You got, you got Robin Frazier, Jesse Marsh, Caleb Porter, Gio Savarese, uh, John Havor Halverson, who was a Red Bulls assistant coach, and he's the guy he brought you he over was. to Glimp. When I saw that name, I was yep. like, wait, I know that guy. Um, and now you have yep. t- now you have Tab. Tab Ramos, who's obviously U.S. Men's National Team legend, uh, Jersey boy, uh, by the way. Uh, to, mm-hmm. What's yeah, what's, buddy? Yeah, right. What's he like? What, what was he like as a coach? Now, this was his first uh, club team job, so it's not always easy. Uh, you know, it's a different animal than co- coaching national teams, coaching youth national teams. What What was he like mm-hmm. as a coach? And uh, I mean, did, did you get the sense that he was kind of like? I, I mean, me personally, just watching, I, th- I feel like he was definitely kind of adapting, and that you know, you could see, you know, it, it, there were things mm-hmm. he was going to have to learn. But obviously, he brings a lot to the table as a coach. Uh, we both had conversations actually, uh, how we were both new to a team, into a club, into a culture, and and we're trying to kind of, you know, figure out uh, our ways within that. Obviously, a co- being a coach is different than being a player. And I definitely think you saw Tab adapt. And, and our team went through really like some high moments, you know, beating Casey away with fans, beating them 5-2. That's, that's a very high moment. And then we go through low moments where we're, we're losing, you know, away at Dallas and, and, you know, losing to Nashville at home and things like that. Like that's, um, you know, obviously Nashville, these are good teams. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the way in which those games went. Right. Um and um, this is one of those things where it was definitely a learning moment for both of us, uh, and especially Tab. Obviously, um, as a national team coach, you can pick every player, right? You know, I you know I played with Thomas Rongan, and Caleb was my assistant coach, and Tab was an assistant with me. And you know, Caleb and T- Thomas could pick every single player for his four-two-three and the way he wanted to play. You know, his Dutch style. He could handpick, you know, his left-footed left center back and his right-footed right center back and everything like that. And it's easier to build a team when you can do that. Obviously, in the pros, you can't just get rid of players. This isn't like even in Europe, you can't necessarily just like cut contracts. You know, these teams don't have unlimited amounts of money. So there's definitely a process to kind of figuring out uh, which players fit your style of system, which players fit your style and your system, and which necessarily don't. And I think this, you know, Tab had a really clear picture of some guys who did and some guys who didn't. And the idea is now with all the, in, you know, the people we're bringing in, Tab sees something in them that they can add to our system. And I completely see it as well. You know, if you look at guys like, you know, Tim Parker, obviously if we're going to play a little bit on the front foot in these games, you know, we need to have, you know, an incredibly vocal athletic center back that can help organize the team and help put out fires. And that's, I mean, that's him in a nutshell. Um, you know, I still think he's one of the better center backs in the American system, and and I and I'm excited for him to hopefully come here and become one of the guys back in the national team. That's that's something that um, you know I hope that he can achieve when he comes here. And um, you know, when you see Maxi, Maxi is one of the, the hardest working center forwards, in my opinion, in the league in terms of work rate on the ball, off the ball, and defense. Yeah, he presses nonstop. I remember playing. <laughs> oh, it's incredible, and that's and like I said, that's that's tab system in a nutshell. Obviously. If you want to know what more system, we can go into that a little bit. But um, if you watch, you can see why that why that piece is so integral and so clutch. And then you have someone like Joe. And I play with Joe. Joe's one of my favorite guys to play with in the twenty three. Such a like besides him just being like such a chill dude, really good guy. Um, you know, one of the best guys in possession. Obviously, with the Galaxy, he was doing that. And um, to have him part of the team to provide a little bit of calmness and to provide some maturity, someone who's played it 
you know, in one of the biggest clubs in Mexico and to come to our team and to be, you know, first off bilingual, which is big in the Houston area and the community of the team and to provide some of that, uh, you know, that veteran, you know, that veteran mentality and leadership is fantastic. And obviously you have to keep going down the list, but, you know, to be able to get guys that fit our system and fit his system, maybe a little bit better than some guys he might have inherited is, 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 is crucial. And um, I'm really excited for our team this year. I don't want to speak too much. I just want to let our play MLS what we Cup, do maybe. on the pitch. You heard it here first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be much different team than last year in such a good way. And I'm so excited to play with this group and get things going. Hopefully we can set a preseason date, but we, we made a lot of good moves. Even look at, look at the draft. We traded backwards to get I a know, guy buddy, that I was supposed it. to go at three. So we traded backwards to get Derek Jones, who is like yeah. I said, Philly boy. Great. And we eventually got the guy we couldn't got at three and got him at six. Yeah. Like that's like kudos to the, to, to the staff for that. And I'm ex- I spoke to Ethan, and I'm excited to see how what he can bring to the table, and told him he better be ready to to, to sing to the group and That's and right. to and to be you know be involved for minute one and, and to you know really challenge guys to get the minutes this year. Now you you actually signed a new deal, uh, signed an extension, right? For uh, mm-hmm. and I believe it's what to through 2023 or 2020. It's a couple of years now. So obviously, it sounds like you 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 had a good time your first year, or you you saw enough in your first year that you want to stick around for a while. What, what kind of put you put it over the top for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to stay here for a few years? Um, people knew that I I enjoyed myself in Portland. And I had a very good relationship with the fans. Um, I enjoyed playing at Providence Park. Um, we, we went to a final one of my years when I, when I played a bunch of games, I played in that final. And, and I, people knew that I, you know, was really enjoying my, myself in, uh, in Portland. And it was definitely a little bit, a little bit of a change to, to suddenly, and I mean suddenly because I did not see it coming, uh, to get picked up by, by Houston, the expansion draft. Shout out Derek Henry for announcing me, by the way, the king. Appreciate that. You can go check it out on YouTube. It's one of my claims to fame is that he said my name perfectly right <laughs> nice. in the expansion draft. Um, but um, I was really taken aback and kind of shocked by the way that happened. But when I spoke to Matt, I had a history with Matt because he was my GM in Montreal. And then I, you know, I spoke to Tab, and then I got down here and started to, you know, understand the plan and, you know, to to be a part of that and to be sought after and to be basically you know, picked and, you know, someone that a team went after, you know, that's, that's invaluable as a player. And then you come here and you develop relationships with, you know, some of the fans, um, Albert and Kelly Connor, I have a very special relationship with them. And, you know, you start to see the system and what they're building and, you know, to, to have that belief and to have that value and to have a club that really values you and, and wants to keep you there and goes out of their way to do so, that's where you want to be. That's, that's, uh, the ideal professional place for me right now. And I was, I was going to be a free agent. I a hundred percent classified, but I told my agent, I told uh, Richard Moskin, who was my agent. I just said, Rich, like, this is where I want to be. This is, you know, the, this team's coming after me and, and they're making, um, you know, moves to, to resign me and, and they're showing all these different things. I feel really, really valued more than I ever have in my, my career and that this is where I want to be. And we, you know, we got a deal done and it was a two years that I have an option at the end of it. And, um, you know, I'm extremely excited to be a part of what the team is building and to be a voice in that and to, you know, to be viewed as a leader upon the team. And, and that, that's exciting. And that gets my juices flowing. I felt rejuvenated last year. I had one of my 
better years professionally. Um, statistically, I, you know, I, I lost 10 pounds in weight. I bulked up. I, you know, I covered more distance and I just felt re-energized as a player. And that's what really kind of, you know, all those things in it, it just makes you kind of want to, you know, really be a part of that and be a part of what a club's building. How much of that losing, losing that weight was, uh, chasing a baby around? Come on, let's be honest. That's the secret, right? A hundred percent. You can, <laughs> if you chase a 16 month old baby around and it's 110 degrees outside, anybody will lose 10 pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, in my conversation with Tab, one of the things he did, he did point out was the fact that one of the unfortunate things about the way the 2020 season uh, kind of played out because of the pandemic was that you didn't get to have that home field advantage that comes with playing in Houston in 110 in the summer. Nope. Uh, and, and when he said that, I was like, you know, you probably missed that, but I don't know if your players necessarily missed that, but are you ready? <laughs> did, you, did you consider that before signing this new deal about playing the summers and, and, and you know, I, man, t- Houston it's, in the summer. It's funny is though, else. because it struck me. I played in, I've been, I wouldn't say lucky, but I've been fortunate in a certain way. I've played in the hottest game in MLS history, and I've played in the coldest game in MLS history. The coldest game in MLS history was the the snow game, 2019 is the part of it, with uh, in, in Colorado, we, the first game of the season. Um, like crazy below, whatever, I don't even know. And then I remember my rookie year, we played Dallas at like 3 o'clock, and it was 112 at kickoff, I think, or something That's like crazy. that. Something just Zero zero tie. I'm talking. You know what I mean. No one was talking. Um, but I would say that you know there there was a you know you know ESPN does their fun interview where they these you know interview players anonymously and they used to crush other guys and stuff. They always said you know if you look at it statistically, Houston, Atlanta, I think Seattle and Portland, maybe LAFC now are the hardest places to play, right? And you know a lot of those are, are you know what. Two of those are turf fields, so obviously it's not the field. It's, you know, the environment and everything like that. And if you couple our fans and the environment with the potential weather that we can offer, like, it is definitely an advantage. And it's difficult to be out there at times with fans. Like, listen, I've been there where you played in front of, you know, 15,000 fans and, you know, in a stadium that's 20,000. And, you know, it's just really hot. And that the heat's going to be there no matter what. And that is definitely an advantage because if we can go – 110% in a hundred degree heat, like that's on. And, you know, if we can do that, teams start to, you know, slowly, you know, die off at that time. And we didn't get to have that as much. Right. And I remember we played, we played one game like that and it was Minnesota at home and we beat them three zero. And I remember just, it was just, Ivy, this game was just like obnoxious. <laughs> and we, we were just used to it. We train it. Even we train at nine o'clock and at the, at the end of training, middle end of training, it's still, you know, 95 degrees and it's still, it's still just awful. And that's something that, you know, is going to be there like COC, like, you know, you see fans, like no matter what, that's going to be there. And it's definitely an advantage because you get used to it and you learn how to cope with it. And, and it's, I'm not going to say it's exciting because it sucks. <laughs> but, but, you, but you know, it'll be, but it'll you're, be an you're just better prepared. Right, right. You're just better prepared. That's all, all. And it's like playing in the cold. Like I'm sure Colorado people might be used to more playing in the cold than we might be, but it's the same exact thing. That's right. And I'll, for me, I'll, Houston. I always remember my first trip to Houston. Um, it was in 2003 for a USA Mexico game. Um, Tim Howard. It was mm-hmm. the game. Man United scouted Tim Howard. And I just remember. Oh, 
Yeah, this was March of 2003. It's a long time ago. I'm old. So, so I, I just, what I will always remember was that the walk from my rental car to my hotel, I, could, I barely made it. It was like, it was just absurd. I was from Jersey. I wasn't used to uh, this humidity. It was crazy. I, 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 and this was what, eight, eight, I don't even have 18 years ago, and I still remember it. I've been, I've been traumatized. But, but uh, I got used no, to it. No, you get these. I, I walk my dogs in the morning, and you come out and you open the door and you just get punched in the face with humidity, and you're like, well, there it is. And you just, the thing is, and people, I, I equivalate it to Portland a little bit. Like Portland is all Portland rains all the time. Yeah. It rains a lot, but guess what? It doesn't make you stink. In Houston, when you <laughs> right. get in your car, if you don't air it out, you start sweating. Guess what? Your sweat stinks. So basically you need to have like a change of shirt, potentially de- ready. A little, little deodorant in the car. Maybe. Oh, you need to have some <laughs> antiperspirant deodorant, you know, whatever you have on deck because it's, it's that bad. And I remember sitting there and there's like from, from noon till six o'clock from like July to like July 1st to August 31st. You just don't go outside from noon till six. And guess what? When we play MLS teams, when do they train when they fly in? They train mm-hmm. at two o'clock because we train in the morning. They get that afternoon slot. So the day before the game, they're training at two or three Oof. o'clock. And it is just hot as cojones outside. And they go, holy bejeebies. And then guess what? At eight o'clock, it's still 85% humidity and a hundred degrees. And there, and it's just, it's something that you're just not used to and you can never fully get used to it. Now, now something that's interesting when just looking at the list of the coaches that, that you've, you've played for, um, something I, I'm kind of curious to, to get your take on is, you know, you, you played for Jesse Marsh in, in Montreal. Um, you obviously played for Caleb, uh, in, at Akron, at, uh, at Portland, but, mm-hmm. with the, but with the U23s, uh, which was obviously, you know, one of the low, probably the low point of his career when, when you guys didn't qualify uh, for the Olympics. And uh, and sorry to bring it up. Um, and uh, and then Robin Fraser at Chivas. We were the lost generation, I believe it's called, between uh, the lost generation, which was the the twenties, and then yeah, that was a good all team. That, that was going. a good team. It was a, it was a, we, we, we had a great team. That was we a really good team. We just choked. I know. It, yeah, we had we, a, well, I mean, a bunch of those guys up the Nash team: Sebastian Lejet, Kellen Rowe, Joe Jow. Me, we had Zach, we had a bunch of guys still playing, but we just, so, you know, you, uh, soccer is a game of moments. Yeah. So, a game so, of moments. So the, what I was going to get get at is, uh, so you played for Robin Frazier at Chivas. You played for, uh, you played for, uh, um, blanking here. Oh, Caleb Porter. And you also played for Jesse Marsh. Mm-hmm. And you played for them at times when they kind of endured the, maybe the roughest points in their career, right? Jesse Marsh in Montreal, he gets fired. Uh, Robin at Chivas, yeah. which no coach would have been able to succeed in that it was kind of just a you know yeah it was just not a great situation and so and all these guys persevered and when you look at it i mean jesse marsh obviously is crushing it in europe um caleb's got two mls cups uh on the trophy case and then robin robin frazier now he's at colorado and he's doing really well there with that team when you think back to those to those guys and playing for them i mean did you as much as you guys endured uh obviously disappointments and and really rough you know quote-unquote failures did you did could, did you, could you get a sense then that they still, as coaches, that you could see them kind of getting through that and, and eventually being what they are now? For sure. There's definitely a lot of intangible aspects of that that, that all sticks with them. If you talk about, um, you know, the video that, you know, I can talk touch a little bit upon all of them. If you look at um, the video that went viral with Jesse um, in the locker room, I believe when they were playing Liverpool, right? I think it was 3-0 and they ended up losing 4-3, right? where he just is given this like heartfelt, uh, you know, halftime speech about just playing and, and enjoying the moment and, 
you know, not fearing the fact that it's Liverpool, right? And I think, and you know what I'm talking about? If not, yep, yep, you should German. link it because it's, it's German, incredible. Yeah, yeah you give it in like half German. <laughs> right, right. German, and it's just Germanish. like, you didn't even need to speak the language. And you're like, this is a guy like you want to play for. And, and Jesse, we had competition Mondays or Tuesdays where we just went out there and got teams of five and just played small sided. And that was the way he was. And Jesse would play with us at times. I mean, obviously, he was probably mid 30s at this point. And he could still probably play. Um, and I was, you know, I, I look back and, you know, I've spoken to Jesse Singe, and, and I was really young, and I was immature at this point. And Jesse knew how to get the best out of me, but I thought he would, like, get on me too hard at all these different moments, and he just wanted the best out of me. And, and you know, we, we grew together as, as uh, you know, player and coach, and then eventually he was let go um, for Marco. And I, I missed that fire of just a coach and that passion and, and I think that, you know, taking that year off that he did afterwards, you know, allowed him to kind of, you know, look back and think of what you do well and what you don't and, and reflect a little bit, right? And that's kind of, I think, what all the coaches had. When Robin left Chivas, you know, you kind of look back and you reflect. And um, it's, uh, getting an expansion team is never easy because it, it's a lot, at least the way an expansion team in 2012 versus now, when the salary caps are all different, it's, it's extremely difficult, right? And all the money and these things. Um, so it's definitely difficult in that sense. And, you know, I, you could see the intangible things that said, I, I knew all of them were going to succeed. It was just a matter of time and things kind of working out, maybe, you know, going through some ups and downs to, to get to that moment. Obviously with Robin, I have an incredible relationship with Robin. When we played Colorado at the end of the season, we spoke for about half, you know, 20 minutes after the game, just, just talking about life and, you know, how far we'd come in the, in the 11 years. And, you know, learning from that moment in Chivas. And I remember that being very difficult. And then, um, I mean, listen, his, his next coaching opportunity with Greg Vanny came at Toronto. And if you look at that, look at the resources and everything that Toronto had at that point compared to Chivas, right? right You're right. signing. Night and day. Exactly. You know what I mean? You can't, it's not, it's apples and oranges. You can't even compare it. And then obviously you can learn and, you know, see what works and see what doesn't and, and take that. And obviously, and with Caleb, he was still with, Akron at that point. He was still a college coach when he was with the 23s. And then you go back and it's difficult and then you, you get an opportunity to go coach it in Portland. And then again, when you coach in Portland and you have Merritt, who's, who's an owner, just like in Toronto, that is willing to kind of go out there. And in Colorado, in a similar situation where they're willing to listen to the coach and what the coach's vision and um, to, to see those things, you know, you know, Blossom. If you look at the way Caleb was in Portland, and now obviously Bez, who is with, who is in Toronto with Robin, and they did so well there. Then he goes to Columbus, and they do well there. So you have some other factors that are kind of linking them together. But you know, you could definitely see that these coaches took some of the lessons that we had, and took the moments that we had, and the tough moments, and even just like little things like the professionalism in terms of team admins and uh, training schedules and things like that, and you know, the val like the valuing veteran leadership, I think is one thing that they all um, knew was important, but then I think after some of their disappointments, they really put some emphasis on those types of players, right? If you look at a lot of times with Jesse, when he was really successful in New York, he had Dax, his core was BWP, Dax, and Luis. That's, that's an incredible core, right? And then, if you look at Caleb, his core was Fernando Adi, Diego Valeri, Darlington, Adam Coarte. 
nationally. That, that's a core right there. And then even if you look at, you know, you know, you can, you can bring the Toronto team for Robin, or you can even do the Colorado team with, uh, you know, someone like Diego Rubio. And then you have even Jack Wilson or Kellen, Kellen Acosta. Acosta re- revived yeah. it. You know, he's definitely responding. I well, know, but so. Kellen Acosta is, I mean, he's a veteran, but he's also, he's probably like, he's, he's four years younger than me, but he's a, like a seven, eight year vet at this point. And then you have Yarbrough, who has had experience as well. So, you know, the value of that, you know, that core, and they all understand that and see that as something that um, is massive. And it, look, look at our team. We're getting there. We have, you know, bringing in guys like Christian Ramirez and Maxi, national team and proven goal scorer. You have, you know, you bring in guys like Joe Corona and Memo's getting to that point. He's growing into them. You bring in someone like, you know, obviously Tim Parker's been in the league for a bunch. Of, you know, back in the Vancouver days. And, and those things are so important to, to teams. And I think that, you know, they, they always valued veteran leadership. Cause I talked, I specifically talked to, talked to Jesse and Robin about that. And then to see them implement it themselves and then get success from that has been really cool to see. And I'm really happy that I got the chance to play under all of them. Now, one thing I did, I did notice uh, unrelated to that uh, next topic here is uh, so Puerto, the Puerto Rican national team, uh, I saw a report. That, <laughs> yeah. I saw a report that you are you are ready to play in the next uh, in the next qualifying cycle. Is that still the case? And what what led what led to this kind of this decision? I, I know you were you were with them previously, but now what what led to this this move now to be take part in that? Yeah, the big thing was, um, you know, just kind of. You know, I always had ambitions to play for the the U.S. team, and you know, basically being a product of the system and playing in every single age group. You know, growing up, I was very fortunate to play everything from the U14 all the way to the 23s in Olympic qualifying. And, you know, I always had dreams of playing for the full team, but obviously getting older and the team getting younger. And listen, these dudes are better than me. I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not shy to say that. I'm not playing at Barcelona. But, yeah, okay. Barcelona, I, I Roma, <laughs> you know, all these. Other... Yeah, I get it. So these dudes are better than me. That's fine. Um, I've had a decent career, but these guys are just better than me. And I, I always crave to play. Inter, like you know, top level international football, and I've never actually capped with Puerto Rico. But um, my grandma passed away post COVID, and she was my north star in terms of my Puerto Rican heritage. She was born in Puerto Rico. Huge aspect of my you know the arroz, arroz con gandules and everything like that. Like the, the meals we used to have Thanksgiving and Christmas was always you know her. She was my Puerto Rican heritage, and then when she she passed, it got me kind of thinking, you know, how that was something that I might want to look into. And, you know, I had talked to them previously, but, you know, then I had kind of committed to, to you know, helping the Nash team move forward. And, and at this point, it's really awkward because it's such a fun, it's such a, it'd be a, such a fun situation to go in with them. But I, you know, stress how my family safety is always most important. Mm-hmm. And with COVID, it's very difficult. And, um, you know, I, I spoke to a player and I don't want to say his name who had COVID this year. One of the players against and I had COVID and this was months after he had had it. And he told me he still did not feel regularly like regular within his lungs when he played. Mm. And that was something that kind of scared me. And uh, we, there's so much unknown about this and long-term effects and everything like that. And I just am trying to limit the exposure that myself and my family get. So I basically committed that if we can, once the vaccine comes and things happen, you know, I'd be, down to help grow the national team. Will it happen before March? I don't know. But I always have to put my family first and right. foremost, That's and um, would love to 
be a part of that and help grow the sport. I really want to grow the sport in Puerto Rico. My stepmother is fully Puerto Rican. My dad got married in Puerto Rico and I was there and I want to help grow that sport and do that. It, I just, it just sad how the timing doesn't necessarily add up, but that's something that's important to me. Um, baseball will always be the number one sport. My God, For sure. the Island is good at baseball, but um, I just hope that, you know, things can settle down and then, you know, I can, you know, approach the situation uh, as, as, you know, in a hundred percent as possible. I mentioned it earlier that it's the 10 year anniversary of, well, it was the 10 year anniversary in the fall of, of Akron winning the national title. Does it feel like 10 years ago or, or does it feel like it was just like, you know, like it was in a blink. You were, you were, you were just playing in the national title game. No, I feel like 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was talking to, um, Corey Ash recently, uh, who just signed on as the Houston Dash, uh, um, basically they're, they're, they're fitness person. And my brother and Corey Ash were in residency together. And Corey stayed at my house once to do this kind of this, this winter camp with my brother. And we did the math and that was 20 years ago. And we both said, I said the word 20 years. And we both looked at each other and just kind of walked away. Like, my goodness, it's been a while. Um, so that, that the national championship does feel a while ago, like like forever ago, and it, it goes quickly. And it's funny because I the thing that time wise it feels great, but then whenever I do a lift or do a hard session and it takes me like two days to recover, I go, "Yep, I'm old. That, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> I'm not 19 anymore, running around in Akron, getting six hours of sleep, playing Halo, having that, pop tarts for breakfast, and then going out and playing Will Bruin in Indiana on the weekend like it's nothing." It's crazy, man. I, I mean, I you know, for me, I mean, and I'm, I mean, I'm older than you, obviously, but I, I, re, I remember being able to kind of just work nonstop and, and sleep like three hours, and, and now forget about it. If I pull, if I pull yep. an all nighter one time, it's like takes me three days to recover. Um, but yeah, no t- time. Definitely... I have a question for you. I got one for you. I got a question for you, you because got? we, Shoot. you brought this up, and we can kind of go there. And I want to hear your reason. I want because I got you. I got you on the, the pod now. What do you got? I had spoken to my brother about college teams. And you can choose either of the college teams that I played against. I'll, we'll choose, I'll choose my 2009 Akron team that we lost in the final. Um, or even 2011 about, you know, the professionals on that team. And my brother and I had a few adult beverages one night and we got into a little bit of a friendly argument about which college team would have been better. My brothers uh, that beat Roger Espinosa in Ohio State and Kerry with Marcus Tracy. I remember, um, I remember the team. And Shalovsky and I think Michael Hood was on that team and Jamie Corbin Franks, Bones, Austin Deleuze, uh, Jamie Franks, Pat yep. Phelan, Ike Opara, a young Ike Opara with Pat Ike Phelan. Opara. Yep, I remember. Yep, freshman Ike Opara, pre pre full ninety Ike Opara. That's when I thought. Um, that's when I thought he was Eddie Pope's son, like on the low. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> this guy is unbelievable. Oh, that's great. We, me, and him got an argument just because uh, we we'll use my okay, we we'll use my twenty ten team because we won a national championship. Yeah, that that's year the one. That, about you, which you guys had like five first round picks. I, I was looking at that draft the other day. We did, and you had we like five, have five of first the first picks. eight or whatever. It was some absurd number. So th- this is what yeah. I would say. Right now, obviously, when you look at the pro careers, you guys have you had, gave your opinion because you said my brother's. Team. You said well, my no, brother. Well, I th- need you to give it. Well, here's the thing. This is what I'm going to say. Right. In terms of obviously the the pro careers that you, that 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 your team have gone on to have, I mean with with t- pro with the longevity uh, and the success, obviously you guys have produced more. But like that that Wake Forest team, I feel like there was a curse there. I feel like uh, they, Jay Vidovich, who who was the coach then, made a deal with the devil and said, "Listen, yeah, we want to win." Uh, 
Yeah, like I think he made a deal with the devil and said, listen, we want to win an SGM chip. I don't know what's going to happen to these players after this, but this team needs to be great. That team... I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. That that was that that team was something else. That team it's just unf- a lot of bad luck with a lot of their players. I would love to have seen it. It's kind of like one of those like if you could you know play on FIFA with the like legends teams or you know yeah it, it would have been something else. I, I was it's funny you mentioned. It. I was thinking about it the other day because I was thinking about your team, the 2010 team, the the Wake Forest uh, team that people just kind of forget about because not not a lot of those guys went on to have like long careers professionally. Um, yep. Some some of them did, but not as many as you would have expected. Just be, you know, like you said, when you talk about Shalos. Marcus Tracy had a multiple knee injuries, yeah, right? And he was exactly. in Denmark. And he if got he injured stays healthy, I mean, you know, national team. I mean, yeah. he was that good. It, it, it's just crazy. But yeah, Ike is Ike, defender of the year. Exactly. And Pat Phelan with the concussions. If he doesn't have the concussions, who knows how, like, because he, yep. he was a solid player. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about it like about a tournament because you have those two teams. But then you obviously have to talk about the Maryland team. The Maryland team with Maryland. Gonzalez I was going to say, Mar- Zuzzi, Maryland, Ronnie when are you going to go? Yep. I mean, it, yep. I don't like, I'd have to figure out who the fourth team would be, like the legend, fourth legendary team. That, I think there was a UCLA team that might have been, or an Indiana team. I'm sure Caleb Porter would say his, Indi- you know, one of his Indiana teams. Um, that would be, that would be, I mean, well, we don't, we don't know. We'll never know. But if you're asking me my opinion, uh, yeah. If you take that 2010 Akron team, which is super talented, but also young, against the the, the grizzled Very veterans young. of the Wake Forest team, <laughs> Ike, Ike was the freshman, but there were a lot of seniors on that team, including yeah, brother, including Julian was a senior. I, I don't think Roger. Yep. I think Roger still has the scars from uh, from your brother, if I remember that. Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness! From the cleat to the face, he kept the cleat. Yeah. He has a skin on, on the studs. <laughs> yeah, back when Roger Espinosa was a flair player. Yeah. I know people today will probably yeah. think that's crazy to hear, but yes, no. Roger, Espino- yeah. Roger Espinosa was once a flashy winger before he became yep. the killer in the midfield who could just, you know, tackle anybody. Yeah. We're going way back now. Uh, tangent. But, uh, the, but one, yeah. the one uh, other team that I'll bring up with that group that I remember is, uh, or that I'll think about, I think about my, my Akron team. I think about that Maryland team, and I think about my brother's weight team. The other one is uh, the Santa Barbara team. The Pontius, Dan yeah. Kennedy, Eric Avila. That's um, yeah. Was there's Andy a few Iroh other people I'm missing in there. Was Andy Iro in that team? I think so. Andy Iro, yep, Andy Iro's in that team. There's a few right around, I mean, that's 2005 well, listen, I think. Listen, maybe Coast, sorry, but East Coast Bias, they don't know. They're, they're not winning. So <laughs> you have to be in the Eastern <laughs> time zone. There had to have been some good Virginia teams. Or, um, uh, right, not, no, sure. I mean, the Maryland ones were always stacked. Um, for sure. Well, no, the Claudia no, Arena, I had, I had Arena, to get it on the Williams, had, the Bruce Arena, Virginia teams, I think were pretty stacked to be fair. I had, I had it out with Claudio with the 23s and he's, and I, we talked a little bit, but he really put me, he stunned me. That's a, that's a term you probably haven't heard a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, no, that team, actually he, that he team. Gave me, they he won said, four. They he won said, four. You right? win, yeah. He said, you do win four straight. He goes, mm. I said, no, he won one. Went to the final. He goes, well, I won four straight. So this isn't even a conversation. I yeah, said, but, All right, Claudio. but to be fair, back then it was, there was like, there were like six good programs and Bruce Arena was just clearly a better recruiter than everybody. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's a different game, different game. I'll give it to him. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad that we got this little combo about college soccer because college soccer gets so much crap uh, for what it isn't when, when it should get praise for what it is and what it's helped kind of provide. Now, obviously, MLS has academies and they're producing talent. And finally, it took long enough, but for all those years, college played its part and definitely played a big part for, for decades. So definitely deserves mention. I don't think people 
I don't think people understand how for a while there, everybody that almost went pro through the, through the full team had since in college. Sue Holden, you know, Clint Dempsey, Marisa Du, you, the, all those guys all went to college and they all spent time there. And that was just the way players developed. There wasn't much, there was Project 40 back in the day, which obviously if you look at like Beckerman or um, who was part of that, I think Ramondo's part of that. And then you have uh, Dax McCartney, uh, was he? Yeah, no, I'm talking pre that. Oh, I'm talking wow, even okay. like Eddie Gavin and a few of these guys, like, oh, you know, Landon okay. and, and Beasley didn't go to college. But a really, really big chunk of these guys all did. Even Bedoya went to Boston College and all these people. And I think that there was just this, 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 uh, this kind of hate a little bit in terms of nowadays they're too old and stuff like that. But back in the day, it was, you know, you had to go to college for at least a year or two to get, you know, it was a nice stepping stone. I think it was a really good trampoline because college soccer isn't great, but, it provides you that physicality and that pace that helps prepare you for MLS. It, development Academy does not do that. And I've been a part of it. I played in the first year of the development Academy. That does not provide that. When you play U18 or 16, and then you suddenly go to the full team, that's a huge jump. I'd rather play U16 development Academy, go to college for one or one year. You know, obviously it's easy to say, you know, I went GA, yeah, but the one that, done, that yeah. trip, yeah, that like I look at Amobi Fugo did one and done. Perry Reggie, Reggie did one Cannon, and done. Reggie These Cannon did one and done. Reggie Cannon. These guys did that, and then guess what? That one year provides them. Perry Kitchen started every game for DC United for a while. Amobi did the exact same thing, and Zach McMath did the exact same thing. These guys were able to at least have that one year of like transition, of like bigger, older, faster. You also know, the off the, guys. Off the off and, field like, maturity. Also, I mean, I think that that doesn't get exactly. talked about enough. Of course, you get the chance to kind of like if you go to college to make a mistake in college or do something dumb, you're in college. People will kind of maybe write it off. But like, hey, you're if you're a professional yourself, athlete, yourself, shh, shh. I don't know if the no, no, no. I didn't say anything. I didn't say. I didn't say, not say anything. But it's the idea that you can grow maturity wise with older players and older people. Some seniors are like 22, and you're 18 going in there. It's a very different, you know, aspect of it. And there's this kind of like fun. Uh, I would say initiation stuff that you get to go through and that, that allow you to kind of deal with that. And um, I think that, that that's a little bit missed now. And, right. you know, even that's yeah. something, I think that's something that the league is missing a little bit, that, that kind of trampoline because you see some young players get tossed into the fire and it just doesn't work out really well. And then you kind of have to reel them in. And some coaches are better at it than others. I look at Bruce Arena, and the way he dealt with Jossie, you know, the way he dealt with a lot of these younger guys that I think really helped them succeed and helped them have better careers. And you see some people get thrown into the fire, it doesn't work out, and then it's like, well, this guy didn't do well, he's done, as opposed to, you know, I was, I was looking at, um, uh, I was talking, I think it was like Mikey Stevens or someone I was thinking of, who, you know, he would play in the middle next to Juninho, he'd play next to Juninho, next to... Um, whatever you'd have uh, Donovan there. He'd play, you know, behind Robbie Keane, you know, next to Yovan, like, right. yeah, you have all these veteran guys that will help carry you through a game and you can rely on them to help, you know, lead you in those moments. And then you can grow from that and grow into the game and grow in confidence as opposed to necessarily being thrown in there with a bunch of young players and you don't necessarily show well. Right. And I think Bruce has always done a good job at 
really integrating younger players into teams and surround them by veterans. And then essentially, look at Omar Gonzalez playing next to Greg Berhalter. That's right. You know what I mean? And then That's playing right. next to Todd Donovan or whoever. Um, and then they can kind of grow in as players. And Juninho's in front of you. And you have a veteran goalie, Donovan Ricketts, behind you. Cool. Then you have people talking that can help coach you through situations. And guess what? Like You grow as a player and you become better playing with good players. And I think, sorry, we're getting real off in a tangent, yeah, but yeah. I think that, <laughs> yeah. that's something that's different. Right. I mean, college is definitely still has its part to play because they're always going to be, for, number one, the country's too big. There's always going to be players that fall through the cracks. Number two, there's always going to be late bloomers. There's always going to be players who you figure it out later or, or just need to get in the right situation. Um, I mean, you mentioned Bruce Arena yep. He's a, and he, Bruce Arena's still doing it. I mean, Tejan Buchanan has blossomed under him. Henry Kessler as a rookie, obviously crushed it. And, uh, and the college game continues to produce talent. Look at Daryl DK. I mean, obviously he, he's playing at Virginia a year ago and now he's over in the league championship on loan so i mean it, it still yep. has its part to and play and he had brandon by too right yep yep brandon by so yeah it's it, there's it, a it, bunch of guys there's a bunch of guys that are there that are doing well even matt turner matt turner had incredible i mean you had him on your show yep yep no he's yeah for sure and it, it's all about definitely coaching and also the right the, the colleges the colleges that have the good coaches because there's some coaches that obviously just look at the track records we had a few on we had mike noonan from clemson and, and bobby muse at wake forest mm-hmm. i mean the track records speak for itself. yeah look at the players that have come through wake forest so it's it's pretty clear with the right college coach and with the right MLS coach, uh, you can take that path still to this day, even even though clearly there's much better academy talent coming through the ranks. Now you have teenagers starting in MLS and actually dominating, playing well. I mean, that 10 yeah. years ago, 20 years ago, it was unheard of to be a teenager even getting Never. on the field, let alone starting. So it's great It's it's great to see. It just shows the progress mm-hmm. of the league. And we've come a long way since, you know, 18-year-old Darren Valentin. We're the uh, old guys in it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the older guy, and and you're and you're. You did, by the way, enjoy this year. By the way, you know why you have to enjoy this year because it's the last year of your twenties. Sorry to bring it up, but enjoy it. I'm I sure know. Enjoy. I I'm officially like <laughs> I've worked my way where I'm not the guy that I never have to immediately walk into the center of a rondo, which is like <laughs> all you could hope for. But I know that officially I'm going to be a thirty year old, and that's when like as a pro you become the old guy yeah. in a lot of young people's heads. And you have a three. So I have until August to enjoy it. And then eventually, I don't know if I'm going to start getting gray hairs or oh. something like that. Oh boy. Something happens. It's all right. Just for men. Just for men, man. That's it. Just for men. Just for men. Yeah, exactly. Just, just get that. Well, I, I definitely appreciate the time. I, we went a little longer than I expected, but obviously there's so much, so much good stuff to to talk about and catch up on. And, and we didn't even talk sneakers. I, we got to save that for another call because I know you're, you know, you're, we'll you're, do another one. Yeah. We got to do another one because both our wives are going to curse us out if we, we spend another hour on the phone, but uh, definitely appreciate the time and congrats on getting the CBA done. Congrats on the new deal and good luck on 2021. Cause uh, I tell you, what the dynamo look like a team that's going to be a handful for sure and i know you're going to be a big part of that but uh, we'll definitely have to get you on again we'll get you on in the summer so you can tell us all about the 110 degrees in houston and playing in that because i, I want to uh, I, can't, I can't wait I'll, talk, I'll make sure i do i'll do the, this little uh this episode outside so i'm just sweating the entire time just soaking it in that's right that's right well th- once again thank you and i appreciate the time and uh, thanks for coming on thank you very much i appreciate it as always it was, it was a really fun conversation and that's Zarek Valentin, uh, great guest. Uh, we could have definitely gone longer there. We could have probably spent at least another 30 minutes talking about sneakers. For those of you who don't know, Zarek is a big sneakerhead, probably. If you were doing MLS power rankings for sneakerheads in MLS, he'd probably be in the top 10, I, I, I would think. Um, but 
uh, it definitely is some good insight there. And, and as far as what uh, what went down with the CBA, how we should look at it and what what the positives, what, what the good takeaways are for, for the players uh, and also the kind of the realization and the and the acknowledgement that you know what the game the game i don't want to say the game is rigged and i love that i love kind of that wire reference uh the game is rigged man but uh it, the game is it's what the owners do um it's what you know mls owners are ha- they they're businessmen and business you know negotiating is is what they do and as i said if you, if you could have gotten the owners to put together a team to play a soccer game against the player reps from the MLS Players Union, uh, the, the CBA would have been a little bit different. But the, the outcome would have been different. But that's not how it's played. That's not how it's decided. It's decided in the boardroom. And, uh, you know, the players took the L, but they, they did get some concessions out of it. They did chip continue to chip away and continue to improve things for, for players in MLS. And, and, you know, say what you want. At the end of the day, players are making more money now, a lot more money now than they used to. And this new CBA will help push that forward. Um, And hopefully, you know, by the end of this CBA, when you're talking 2027, that next CBA will be in a position to really take MLS into kind of a a new elite level if things are going well. And you're talking about a new new TV deal, uh, the impact of the 2026 World Cup. There's so much potential there for uh real real improvements and real uh big progress and and we'll see if that that happens after this cba but definitely uh thanks zarek valentine for coming on and up next we have uh joining us from cincinnati is fc cincinnati beat writer uh and cincinnati inquirer uh legend uh pat brennan who, who joins us to talk about uh, the signing of Brenner and obviously the big money, the big money being thrown around or the big money being threatened to be thrown around by F Cincinnati, who clearly uh, are are getting serious about trying to make their team better because we know the team has not been good the first couple of years in MLS. But they're looking to change that. And no one covers FC Cincinnati quite like Pat Brennan. So he definitely uh, ha- will give you as good insight on what's going on there as anyone. So I had to get him on to talk about this big money signing and these these uh, attempts to improve the team. So uh, joining us from Cincy, of course, Pat Brennan. Pat, welcome to the SBI show. How are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure. And uh, I always love talking to you. So thanks for having me on. No, no, it's uh, definitely uh, we have to have you on because uh, number one, you're kind of a TV star. You know, we we everyone saw you on TV at the uh, when you had your little run in with the police in Cincinnati. But we won't, we won't, we won't get into that. But that was a good. That, yeah, that became a national episode, didn't it? Even on the East Coast. I'm, yeah, I'm just glad you're okay, and I'm just glad you weren't wearing your your good sneakers because if if that then I would have been triggered. I would have been emotionally I would have been emotionally triggered if you had good sneakers. You, you had you definitely Thank had you. your beaters on. You knew what was going on. One hundred percent. Oh, I one hundred percent. I went into that day knowing every everyone was on pins and needles. I knew there was a chance for some bad things to happen. Seriously, but you know, so what? I, I think- went I went with the I went with the beat. Yeezys, and it was a great choice that day. You should, but listen, if you had worn your best sneakers, then you, it could have gone even more viral. You could have been like the the guy at the uh, at the inaugural with the with the dr ones that became the story. <laughs> if you had been arrested in off whites, then it would have been like, hey, the guy in off whites, look at that. You would have been viral. You could have got some sneakers out of it. So I think he missed an opportunity. Instead, I know, I know, I missed a major <laughs> branding opportunity. Instead, I'm just a chubby white guy that got tackled and released 15 <laughs> minutes later. There you go. Uh, so since 
Cincinnati, man. FC Cincinnati, obviously it's been a uh, a rough couple of fir- first years in the league. And just to let everyone know, like, I, you know, so like Pat and I are very cool. And I also like have an appreciation for a guy who has to cover a bad team starting out uh, in MLS because my first year covering MLS was 1999, the New York Red Bulls, which is they're one of the worst teams in the history of MLS. And if you can cover a bad team in your first year in the league, a historically bad team, it's all cake after that. It just, it's, it's so easy after that. So <laughs> I, ha- I have an appreciation for what you've had to go through but here we are since he's spending money now they're they're making big moves they're they're linked to you know some big time players what do you think about this and what do you think about Brenner and the 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 Brazilian striker and what he can bring to this team so um yeah look I mean yeah there was definitely when when all this was starting to come out uh last week um there was definitely a sense of like well who is this team this is what, 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 which club am I covering again? Because this is real money, and you know you're talking about real players and real, real transfer fees, um, the kind of stuff that head coach Yap Stam would be more accustomed to from his time, uh, both playing and managing in Europe. And it's just you know FC Cincinnati's uh, spent some money, uh, particularly in 2020, but never like this. So I think you know, and Gerard Nijkamp, the general manager of the team. Uh, you know, said this yesterday. I think there's there's an expectation for Brenner uh, to come in year one, and yeah, it, he's going to have a transition period. He's going to have to learn um, English in a more proficient level, and he's going to have to learn how to live in this country. So, like, there's going to be a transition period, and there might be some hiccups with that. But Gerard Nijkamp basically said during his Tuesday news conference, uh, basically introducing Brenner. You know, the transfer fee alone demands a certain level of expectation. Uh, Brenner is really good in front of goal. Uh, he traditionally plays in the center forward position, but he's also uh, has some interesting versatility because he's played out on the wings. And um, this is, yeah, like all the expectations are of this player, even when you account for, um, I think, some of the hiccups you might see with a, a 21 year old coming to a new club in a new country and all that, because the hope is the co- the hope is that FC Cincinnati will benefit from what he is today in the interim. And eventually they'll be able to flip this guy for a profit. So, I mean, you know, that's stated simply here yeah. when you and I are talking, but to actually realize that on the field, that's a big ask. Yeah. Um, and FC Cincinnati's, yet to do that in the kind of way that they're projecting for this player so it's a it's an it's a new this is very much a new new adventure uh, kind of a new day for fc cincinnati right now, now the, the, what i'm curious what one thing I, i've kind of noticed when it comes to the, the the fc cincinnati fan base and obviously every time a new team comes into the league uh, you have that enthusiasm in the fan base, and some some teams have come in and had crazy enthusiasm. Um, but it goes away if you don't start winning. It eventually, it does. It's not all. It doesn't last forever. It, it you know after a certain point, it 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 falls off the cliff. And I remember Toronto FC when it when they first came into the league, obviously mm-hmm. really bad. Uh, Orlando City, as we know, uh, had had a lot of rough years, uh, and, mm-hmm. and eventually that that waned. Uh, do you feel like that maybe the owners? Re- and since he realized like okay th- like we have this new stadium if we if we are bad again uh, this this thing is going to go bad pretty quickly yeah yeah i mean it's it's 
I will say it's it's. I want to you know just to be forthright with you, FC Cincinnati never you know they were renting their playing their home field from the University of Cincinnati last season. Um, so the university never gave FC Cincinnati permission to host any fans uh, for home matches. So you know, absent even having a smaller number of fans in the stadium during the pandemic, like it's a it's that just makes it like a little bit harder for me to get a sense of, you know, how much the fandom and the passion for this club has ebbed and flowed uh, as they've been. All you got to do is go on social media. And, I I mean, the sense, you know, obviously social media, you know, you never know how that's reality. But I feel like Cincinnati fans are still super optimistic. And the reaction to the Brenner signing tells me that that it hasn't trans, like we haven't had the, the flip yet from super optimism to everything is bad skepticism. Like it hasn't happened yet, which is, it's just it's good to see, but it's kind of, yeah. like, you know, how close are they to just being like, all right, screw this. They need to figure this out. This is not working. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you know, I, I think you can appreciate this in, in large portions of my job as the beat writer. I live in a Twitter echo chamber where there are realistically in this market, probably, you know, 500 to a thousand. And that might be like, that might be um, a little bit of a, a liberal estimation on my part, but you know, I live in the Twi- the FCC Twitter echo chamber where you've got super vocal fans that demand expectations, demand big player signings, um, and I will tell you, I, I have definitely sensed that um, with the signing of Brenner, along with uh, Nykamp alluding on Tuesday to uh, basically stating openly that more tra- more more players are incoming they have needs at other positions obviously we could talk about that but more players are incoming um right. and the expectations now are of cincinnati to go out and get results so i think the fan base is seeing the money that's being spent and talked about the the, the caliber or at least the the name power the star power of the players they're being linked to and the attitudes are changing here. It's it's gone from in 2019 when they were one of the top teams in terms of attendance in this league, where everyone was just kind of happy to be in MLS and still in the honeymoon period, even when they were, you know, historically bad, particularly on the defensive side. But I think now there's definitely they've they got to an inflection point, um, probably last year where there was a little bit of a revolt among some of their hardest core supporters. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I told you I had a conversation with, uh, I was fortunate to have a conversation with Yab Stam earlier today, and you know, he and Gerard went to the ownership group, and they just said, you know, this is the level of investment we need if we want the kind of results that, you know, the fans expect from us. And I think ownership, to answer your question, long, long answer, um, yes, ownership has recognized that, it takes. It's going to take a different different level of investment in this club than they've seen over the first two years, um, and that's also with the new stadium they have coming online. Even in the pandemic, you know you've got more revenue streams and you can afford to spend a little more freely. Whereas in the past they didn't control all the rev- revenue streams at the university. Right. But yeah, ownership is on board with this level of investment now. And like you know, as I think we're going to talk about, um, Brenner was one major investment and you know they've been linked to the possibility of other 
very significant investments. So, right, right. so owner, it, ownership is on board. Right. I mean, it's it's good that they're spending, and uh, but it's oh, it's one thing to spend, and it's one thing to be smart about how you spend, and and make sure that you're spend that you're you're spending on the right players, and that you're not overspending, and and that that's something that you know. That, we don't we don't need to like get into it too much but obviously with Brenner everyone's everyone's going crazy about the about the fee and yeah. it's obviously a big number but i mean I, my you know my understanding is that i mean basically they overpaid basically they paid what no one else was even anywhere close to interested to paying and uh i, w- I will have to I, I am gonna point out i thought it was a little ridiculous the the one tweet that they put out where they, they gave kind of the impression that that Sao Paulo or Brenner had turned down all these other, te- you know, Real Madrid, Juventus, what Ajax, like no, none of these teams were paying that money. None of them were paying it. It, it wasn't a we're no thank you. It was a no one. These teams were they were not paying that that price. So the yeah. idea that since he was chosen over these teams is just a false thing. But we're, I, I'm not going to drag you into that conversation. I do want to <laughs> I do want to talk about Pitti Martinez because I think it's when I saw it, I thought it was a, I thought it was a gag or something just because look he's a good player but anyone who watched him in Atlanta knows like him and him and Frank DeBoer did not get along like he 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 did not do well the last time he played for a Dutch coach and obviously you know uh Jab Stam is not Frank DeBoer they're not the same thing but still it's a little kind of like you what what about his time in Atlanta and Frank DeBoer yeah. and the and the struggles there what about that makes you say oh yeah no let's go get him and spend the money on 100 100- yeah, 100%. And, you know, I, I said to you before we came on the air here, uh, or before you uh, press record, that uh, I was on the radio locally. And, um, yeah, I, I have questions about whether P.T. Martinez is the best fit and the best use of uh, a big investment by FC Cincinnati. Because going back to the point you just made about spending money, um, you know, I think I read somewhere this past off season that apparently Gerard Nijkamp said that they had um, a budget of uh, 30 million euros or something along those lines. Nice. Look, whatever that, whatever their budget is, you know, I, I, they don't need to go out and it's not, you know, they can't you turn can, it into so, Brewster's millions is what they can't do. For yeah. sure. And I know that's an old <laughs> Look, reference. Throwing Only money, people throwing money. No idea what that means, but. Throwing money, throwing money at the problem isn't necessarily the best way to fix it. I think I'd rather them see. Uh, I, I'd rather see FC Cincinnati spend uh, fifteen to twenty million dollars wisely than splash cash on an individual at thirteen million. Now Brenner could end up being a great investment, but we're yeah. you know in, well, in that, terms of in terms in terms of PD Martinez to your question, um, yeah. Look, I mean, there were times when uh, he. I've heard people describe him as just outright lethargic in his time. He's had one good Atlanta. season. He's had one good yeah, season. So I, look, I hope he great. works out. And I said, I said that I tweeted that uh, yesterday that, or on Tuesday that, you know what, like, did they, they, you know, they might've overpaid. Will anyone care if he actually scores goals? No one's yeah. going to remember that, but you know, if he flops, it's just such a, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll yeah. See. And Hopefully. you know what, if, if, you know, it's a yeah. It's, look, it's a big bet. If it, you know, going back to Brenner, um, if 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 they can execute their all their aims with him and flip him for a profit, then you know, I'll be the first to tip my cap to them. You know, uh, same with Petey. If that were to come to fruition and eventually work out down the line, but I just I, I feel like between Atlanta, I mean, you know, I, I can't say I follow the Saudi Pro League too closely. 
But oh, come on, man, you get that on your, on your TV I know. package. I don't have the I don't have the Saudi Pro League TV package, but um, you know, it's like you haven't heard. You know, I think unless you're a PT Martinez fan and more than a casual observer of that league, you know, I I, I would I I would offer that he's faded into obscurity a little bit. Right. Uh, that I, doesn't mean he's not still a great player. No, right. I, but but yeah, I'm with you. There there are questions about his time in Atlanta. Even putting Frank DeBoer aside, that I think there are questions about PD. Fair he, questions he, look, that I, have nothing to that right. have nothing to do with management. It's about Petey yeah. and his mentality. The talent is there. He can play anyone who saw him. When he's at his best, when he's on his game, he's as good as there is in that has been in MLS. But he's an, he's an enigma, right? He's someone who clearly yes. it, it can get into his own head, or when he's not happy, he's terrible. When he's not happy, you don't want him on the field. So if yeah. you're going to spend huge money and you're going to bring him to a team that is clearly a work in progress and have him play for a Dutch manager when his track record for Dutch managers hasn't been the best. Like, yeah. that's a lot. There's a lot working against you there, man. So that, yeah, that for me, yeah. like, if you're going to spend big on a playmaker, and you need to because if you're going to spend big on a striker, you need to set him up. You need a playmaker. I don't know if Pitti's profile is the one you want to spend that money on. but And you know what? Look, to FC Cincinnati's credit, I would say – the deal obviously hasn't been done as of our conversation here today. Um, there are some hurdles there still. Uh, Gerard Nijkamp alluded to the fact that they are in discussions about trying to get up the allocation, uh, get up in the allocation order ra- uh, rankings because they would need to to get PD. Um, and Austin may have something they have in line for that. For, you know, they hold the number one spot in that right now. So Austin, you know, they've been very methodical, and I think. One thing that speaks to that is the fact that, you know, what we're, I, know, I know it's probably going to get bumped back a little bit because of the CBA stuff, but we're inside of two weeks from the scheduled start of preseason. And FC Cincinnati is still out there evaluating players, you know, players that are purported to be of a, of a high caliber. So they, they've been methodical. They've been patient. Um, I just wonder if, you know, in line with that patience and that methodical approach, is it possible to find someone that might offer something a little bit different or offer a different player profile, a different experience than PT Martinez? Because like you said, uh, there are just, you, you, you can't not talk about his time. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't talk about his time in MLS without some of the obvious question marks. And I agree with you. He's one, when he's on, he's on. Um, and I've seen him on playing for Atlanta against FC Cincinnati. Right. Right. But, but, um, yeah, there, there are there there's there are some significant hurdles when you think about the logistics of PT coming to Cincinnati just right out of the gate. Some of the things yeah, you I just mean, mentioned, right? And I mean, look if he if if he can't if he can't be happy playing in a multicultural city like Atlanta on a roster with tons of Latin Americans on it. Like, yeah, uh, is, yeah. Is, 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 is FC Cincinnati going to be a good fit? So that, for me, if it ends up falling apart and they can't get him because of the whole allocation thing, it might actually be a blessing in disguise, I'd say. And, and we'll see. Hopefully it works out for them. For me, the bigger question, and I'll, I'll leave, you know, I'll leave you with this. I want to keep you on too long. Uh, Center back. They need a center back. They can't stop anybody. It'd be it's all well and good if Brenner scores goals, but if he's scoring goals in four one <laughs> losses, I don't know if you're better off. I mean, yeah. If you, it'll be cheaper to lose one zero than to lose four one. I don't know. For me, so we'll see. I mean, so you what do you what do you do you see the defense yeah. coming together? Like, how important is that? Well, Ron, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I so Gerard Nijkamp to his credit has. I mean, 
anyone that follows the team closely would understand this and be able to talk and write about it like we do. But for the casual fan, he's been pretty open about what their needs were. Number nine, number 10, um, center back and winger. Those are the positions of need for FC Cincinnati. They've checked one of those boxes with Brenner, they hope. Um, and you, you bring up the center back question, which is a huge one for me because now they've, they've got a, a, the, top, the top portion of this formation is very heavy with youth and younger players. Several at the age of 20. Uh, Brenner is 21 years old. So you're going to need experience to balance that out. Gerard said in his Zoom press conference on Tuesday that he'd like to see that from the number 10 position. Um, I don't know if PD checks all the boxes there. Certainly, I think he would check some. They were also in for Papu Gomez, who has since transferred to Sevilla. I, that was. Um, I, I had my doubts about that one. All right, all right, fine, fine, fine. But, um, yeah, center back, it's a big position of question right now because right, right now the names that stand out, you have Tom Pedersen, a Swedish central defender. Uh, I think the, the highest level he's probably played at in domestic league competitions or it, it, continental competitions is the Europa League. Uh, Michael Vanderwerf from Vitesse, and uh, previously from Vitesse, he's been in it. This will be his part of his third season at FC Cincinnati. And you got Nick Hagland, who's uh, still in the fold at FC Cincinnati. Now he played out of his out of his dome uh, and earned a spot, rightfully earned a spot on this 2021 roster. But I I, I believe in my heart of hearts that was uh, a move to he he earned it. I really want to emphasize that. But I think they envision Nick for being a depth piece at this point, yeah, even though he did three. play. He's a number three. At the yeah, end of the day. So, yeah. Uh, um, so, look, they, they have a big hole at center back, and um, at least one, because I think you could probably pencil in Michael Vanderwerf as a starter. Right. Tom Pedersen started a fair few matches last season as well. Yeah, but they, Michael Vanderwerf is probably the only couple. I mean, listen, when, you're, yeah, when, the, yeah. when, when your head coach is your second best center back, you probably need to go get some center backs. That's just my, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, that's just my. Hey, listen, they also, uh, to to wrap up my thought on the defense very quickly, and I appreciate you uh, rolling with my rambling. Um, the they have Ronald Matarita out on the left flank now. He can, he's a great guy getting forward, but he can't. Def- he's not well, a defender. He's a well, glorified winger. Well, but look, look, I like the signing. By the way, I like the signing. He's look, talented. They, he's talented. He can't defend. I think. Well, then that's going to be a problem, and I will <laughs> defer to you as as the New York. No, uh, he's, New a, Jersey. he's a good player. That, was a, New York, that was a Jersey good guy. I just want to say that uh, for Cincinnati fans, who, if you're listening, I'm not. I'm not saying Matarita is not a good addition because he's absolutely. Well, great. I mean, he's absolutely a talent, but he's someone who you who you actually need to cover for defensively a bit because he yeah. looks like he gets getting forward is his bag. That's his thing. He'll get your service. He'll get in the attack, but he's not. He's not a lockdown defender. He's not Kamar Lawrence. He's not someone who's going to sure. just shut down that side of the field. It's never been his game. And if it was his game, he'd be in Europe at this point. But yeah, you know what? Fair enough. So we'll, we'll fair see. Enough. You know, we'll see. They, they, and then. And then I think there's, they have a question at right back, but that's a little bit farther down the list on in terms of their priorities right now. Their big thing, uh, just to leave it at this, coming into this offseason was obviously the fact they cleaned up the defense a little bit. There are a lot of measurables that point to that in 2020, even though they still had their rough days. Um, they scored uh, what some could argue on a, on a per-game average basis was the – fewest goals in MLS history. That's a little bit muddled because it was pandemic short right, season, right. but they needed to address an offensive situation. And um, 
the, the, the number 10 and number nine positions were, I think, top of the list. And, uh, look, Gerard said on Tuesday that, um, he hopes to have all the needs filled by the start of preseason, which is coming up. Right. <laughs> we're talking on February 10th. Yeah. 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 So, uh, we'll, we'll see. I'll give you the uh, the open ended. We'll see as yeah. to how the rest shakes out. Right. So now, I mean, with the, I'll leave you with this. My and my like for my opinion, I I, I respect Yap Stam as a manager. I think he's actually a good. I think he's a good coach. So do I. Now, the question I, is, I is I mean, it, it really it's going to come down to Nightcamp, and he he it's on him because I tell you what, if they when when you get the money to spend when you get the black when you get the credit card when you get the black card and you, you better come back with some some fire you better come back with some some quality and if if the ta- if the players that they bring in don't get it done then he then he i mean at this point he he's going to have to go so but that's again that's um, down the road but i i think Stom is a coach who can if you get you don't have to go get him Virgil van Dyke but you get him some decent defenders, and I think he'll he'll set it up so that they're at least serviceable defensively. And and yeah, you know that's that's going to be for me the. I, and I think I think whether they like it or not, I think when you go out and have, I mean, even setting their other needs, their unfulfilled needs to the side. I think when you go out and make a signing like Brenner, um, that's just because of the money involved. That's that's one that you stake at least part of your reputation and your job on and. I don't think, you know, not everyone might like that. There are people in the organization that could text me after they hear this and say, hey, like, that's not the case. Like, yeah, but we Pat, love Gerard. Pat didn't he, say it. But, but, I said it. So there you go. No, no, no. no but nobody I, but I, no, hey, listen, nobody I, go at Pat. I'm trying though. to, listen, man, I'm trying to backdoor agree with you here. I think there's pressure now. There's a, there's 100%. There should be. There, there, I mean, there should always be pressure. I'm pretty sure but, the owners yeah. who are putting the money down are saying, yes, there's pressure with you using yeah. my money. I mean, that's not that's not <laughs> nothing wrong with that. If I give yeah. you $30 no. million, dollars, you better deliver. I'm not just doing yeah, it for fun. Yeah, so, 100%. So, I don't think anyone's going about that. And you know what? Gerard's a total professional. He understands that aspect of the game. He's played in he, – he's, he, you know, at Peck Swola, where he was the technical director, he's had some great successes and uh, some, some nervy moments, and he was able to – keep that team out of relegation situations. So he knows what the stakes are. And I'm sure that um, in his heart of hearts, if only, if, if only there, he would agree with the sentiment that you and I are saying right now that there's, yeah, there's, there's more pressure on, on he and the players to perform today than there was this time a year ago. Definitely appreciate the time, and uh, ho- hopefully, here- here's to better things ahead. Because I mean, I hope for your sake, uh, and also for Cincy's fans' sake, that that this is, is the year that they kind of figure things out. And and obviously, we've seen other teams figure it out. Look at look at Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota at one yeah. point very recently they looked pretty lost, and now they now they're they're looking pretty good. So it can yeah, happen well, that quickly. It, it can happen that quickly and in it, MLS. And it's and it's good business for all of us in Cincinnati when. When, when the team's playing well, you know, so you it, hope it's for, easier, for that right, It's easier to cover a team that wins. I mean, no question, hey, but it makes you a better 100%. writer when you have to write about how trash a team is a hundred different ways. Yeah. <laughs> that That is like very, it sharpens the skills as a reporter, I would say that, but you don't well, want to Well, I know you've long. been, I know you've been there, man, and I respect it. Appreciate the time, and we'll get you on again uh, to talk sneakers because uh, we All have right. to do that, but we won't do that this episode. But uh, thanks, All right. thanks we'll, for taking we'll, the time. We'll hold and, uh, we'll definitely get you on again again soon. So uh, thanks for the time, man. All right. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. 
And that's Pat Brennan uh, giving us some good insight onto the whole Cincinnati situation. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's going to be an interesting uh, development. It's going to be the project and, and Yapstam really working with trying to improve that team. But as we said in the interview, uh, the GM, uh, Nykamp is the guy. The pressure's on him. He's been given the money to go spend and go to improve the team. And, and it's all well and good to have a checklist of what you want. It's all well and good to, to know what you need. But it's another thing to be able to go get it and to go get it for a good price, to get it for the right price and not just to, you know, splash money around. So we'll see if they get it done. Uh, it'll be great for the league if Cincinnati uh, is a winning team. Filling a new stadium and giving that energy to that part of the, the that part of the country, obviously with the Columbus Crew and their project, having just won an MLS Cup, they're going to be opening their new stadium. So if you have two strong teams in Ohio, that just adds to it, right? It just adds to the rivalry. It just adds to kind of the profile of the league. So you know, uh, you know, I don't mind saying I want to see I want to see Cincinnati do well. I mean, I think. In any league, you're going to have teams that are not good, right? You're going to have teams that struggle. You're going to have teams that, um, you know, are perennially pretty bad teams. But in MLS, we've already seen and we've known over the years that it can turn around quickly. And if you if you make the right moves, if you make the right investments, you can go from being the worst team in the league to being the champions. And, you know, do I think Cincinnati is going to be a champion next year? No, but... You know what? If they're better and if they're more entertaining and if they're more competitive and if they can get to a playoff potentially, then that's progress. And then that's something to give fans some hope because, you know, the the, the optimism doesn't last forever. That that expansion team buzz dies without winning. If it just doesn't last forever, it's not it's not like permanent everything is awesome mode it's not that's just not reality so uh you know i'll credit the cincy fans that that i see in terms of social media and how much positivity there still is after a couple of really awful seasons um but i know that's not going to last if they don't start getting better and it's good to see cincinnati's owners get serious and really start trying to put some money into that project. Now it's up to Nightcamp to make sure he's spending it wisely and going getting the players that they need. So we'll see if they can do it. We'll see if they can do it. Um, and I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I know we, we said we we're going to talk about a, a bunch of other topics, but with the interviews and, and how long they are, I don't want to make this a like five-hour mega episode. And also we're going to have the next episode on Friday. It's going to drop on Friday. So that means we're going to be – I'm going to start recording part of it uh, – Wednesday and Thursday and we'll, you know the, a lot of a lot of stuff is actually going down right now on Wednesday as I record this I'm literally watching Swansea versus Manchester City uh Zach Steffen and Manchester City he's starting for Manchester City in the FA Cup against Jordan Morris in Swansea City he Jordan Morris making his first start for Swansea City so it's uh it's 1-0 it's 1-0 Man City right now Man City's you know obviously going to be the favorite but it's good to see Jordan Morris getting the start and you know there's plenty of Americans abroad uh to talk about, uh, but we're gonna have to save some of that for the next episode. You know, Weston McKinney getting to the Coppa Italia final. We definitely should mention that. Uh, that's obviously a big, big one for him. Um, there's been some injuries. Obviously, Serginio Dest is once again sidelined with the thigh injury. Uh, we'll get more into that next episode. Uh, but for now, uh, you know, this episode we definitely wanted to focus on talking CBA and also talking FC Cincinnati. Uh, but definitely let me know in the comments section of SBI or let me know on Twitter if you're listening to this. What what you 
you'd like to hear discussed on the next episode. Uh, we can talk Hall of Fame. I, d- I did want to talk Hall of Fame a bit because actually today's the deadline. Wednesday's the deadline to, to submit your vote for the Hall of Fame. Actually, you have to do that. Uh, that's what I'm, As soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to go cast my ballot before I become one of those infamous people who don't cast their ballot. And that's very important. But I was putting it off so I could just try to put as much time into making my final decision. I know who I'm going to vote for and I'll say it on the next episode um, who I voted for. So you know who some of them are, obviously, some of the obvious ones. But we'll, we'll get into that next episode, along with a million other things and hopefully with at least two or three guests. That's all in the works, but definitely uh, stay tuned for that. And thank you for listening to this episode. And I once again want to thank our, our guests for this one, Zarek Valentin and and Pat Brennan for, for joining us. Uh, they, they definitely gave some great insight on two of the bigger topics in American soccer, the especially in MLS with the CBA and with FC Cincinnati with the big bucks spending all of a sudden. So uh, thanks to both of them for, for joining us here. And uh, thank you for listening. Once again, I'm Ivis Kolarsep. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>